Here, fucking, it's recording right Check now. Check this out. I got like a nine foot charger. All right. Okay, so you were. This should this. be fine. Well, okay. Let me plug it in. So yes, no. Just generally about the podcast, right? Because I feel like there's no way that I was gonna be able to present anything more than I already could just going live, right? Going fresh into it because there's no way to get versed on the topic, and I, th- I think that, that that can be an angle for this podcast, right? I mean, we can go into this and say. Hey, we're going to present, this is just us talking about this. And maybe, I'm guessing you did some research. Cursory? Uh, yeah. This is a pretty broad topic, like more broad than I bargained for. Yeah, we can kind of just go in any direction think, with this, right? Like, if you want, yeah. you could come and bring an example to a table or like um, whatever, but you don't really... Yeah. Nobody's going to have anything like prepared, like an essay. Right. Well, does anybody have, does anybody have an example? Uh, I got a couple floating what is around. The, what is the broad topic in the first place? Alright, so, well, first off, uh, I'm Zach. Absolutely. Um, I'm Bob. And I'm Nick. And this is... Train by day. Yeah, <laughs> podcast by night. Oh, my God. All so day! This, uh, this is the Stoa, right? This is the Stoa. We're going to talk about, uh, just whatever we feel like talking about. So we have a general, we've generally decided, last week, Zach, uh, floated the topic of... Basically, knowing something, how to talk or, or speak and have a knowledge of something without knowing its, its inner workings, its inner details, which, right. to me, I feel like is basically everything, almost. But there is a layer that we can, we can see, but I think the layer of things is, is, is not representative of, of the um, overall structure. It's, we, we get to see the surface. I mean, it's the surface-level right. details. Well, like, at what point do you reach diminishing returns as far as investing your time and learning, like, the absolute minutia of something? Sure. Like, being able to understand something just good enough to you work on, like, on a mac- macro level. Right. Like, if you had to think about all the components that went into walking, you wouldn't be able to get anywhere, right? Like, you think, okay, foot up, bend the knee, put the foot on the ground... Body weight forward, right. you know. It's, it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, even with that, I mean, think about it. Think about how deep you can go. You can basically go, and I, I, this is a, this is a, um, not, I don't mean to throw a, like a loaded term out there in this way, but I mean, it, infinite in a way. Because if you sure. think you're like, really, when you break down the process of moving your foot and subdivide it into the, I mean, even the atomic level, like what's happening, you could go from neurological, macro, just all the way down and, and I think you made that quote yeah. about the about the about the turtles you know right so it's turtles well and let's, let's go there let's talk about uh, the the nature of things so in in physics uh, we started by studying the macro and now we are down to the the infinitesimal mac, uh, micro but it's just a sliding it's a like our perception is just sliding down so now we still have more to understand to the left and to the right we've just kind of shifted where we're looking. Mm, I guess there's, there's no point have we figured it out. I don't think there will be that point. Right. So I, one thing that I was thinking about when we kind of brought up this topic last week is I was thinking about how, like, what is the, where, where could we stop looking at a micro level and making, a, just looking at it on a macro level? Where is, like, a cutoff point that's good for all all areas, whether it's like steady or whether it's like your life or whether it's like we talk about walking with movement or just just in general. Like, where can we go? Okay, I know just enough about that that now I can do the macro level. 
Is there like a cutoff? You know what I mean? Like, is there like a like a theme or a cutoff or something that yeah, fits yeah. around? So I was I was thinking I kept coming back to the same thing, which was uh, symbolism. Uh, uh, and I can link it to this. Hmm. So as humans, yeah. everything we experience or see uh, the senses gets translated through our our dialectic, our and, and everything's kind of represented symbolically in our brain. This isn't a collection of, of atoms, this is a table. And, uh... What have I lost it? You, you got it. Uh, your prompt was, how do we know? Oh, right, so I think when we have something that can be explained in a, a metaphor or an analogy effectively, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's almost as close as we can get. Because it, because, because yeah. those, those are fundamental to how we think. Those are inseparable. Right. Well, I mean, sort of everything is, is an analogy as it's sort of stored in the, in the mind, right? As, as knowledge. Right. I mean, that's, that's science. I mean, you, you do, you experiment. I mean, essentially we're carrying out experiments. Everything's an experiment. You know, if I touch this table, what's going to happen? Well, I have a lot of data that says, okay, well, I can rest my hands on it. You know, well, is it going to break or something? I mean, we, we are unable to predict, but whatever the case, you know, when we're not touching the table, we have some kind of a representation of, well, this is sort of what it's like to touch table. I kind of can make an assumption about another table uh, based on that, and that's the symbolic storage process, right? It's, it's the analogy. Well, it's, it's necessary. The world of perfect forms that exists outside of our actual world? Uh, who's, right. who's that philosopher? But his idea I mean, was that... Plato, Plato definitely had it, but I think earlier than him was the were people that had that idea. The world of forms. Well, it was the idea that uh, there is the actual world, there's reality, uh, but beyond that, there's this perfect world of forms where there's a perfect table, uh, the, the conception of everything. So like right. the great Ikea of form uh, that, we, that we all draw from. He believed, they believed that. That was propagated yeah. for a long time. Well, another way you could put a twist on that too, and this is what I'm learning in, in you know, with my school, is in psychology they look at it as a, as a perception as opposed to like a form. So that they call like a, the way that I see the table and how the table works, they would look at it as a perception and not as like this is the form of the table. And the perception, it kind of leads back to more of what you're expecting out of the table, what the table is expecting out of you. Um, and you can say like, and I know that sounds like <laughs> so, no, no, I love that. But it, you argue like, does a rock have consciousness kind of a thing? Right. So for example, like if the table has a form, then you could argue that this table was made to hold a purpose. So I expect the table to hold my cup, just like it, it expects me to use it to store stuff on it. Because if it doesn't have a purpose, then the table doesn't exist in my perception. Because that's the way I see it. Sure. And in that book that I'm reading, the... Um, here with a thousand faces right. one thing that they they talk about is how the way that we see things as if it's our story like like for example you know like we're sitting here talking well i see it as this is my life this is my story this is my movie i'm the denzel washington and y'all are just npcs and this is just like the story that we're going on sure. um, so kind of like that perception of like we're talking about going back to macro micro looking at like understanding without understanding kind of a thing it's like well, I guess it all depends on what your focus is and how far you need to learn something in order to un understand it. Well, I mean, that, that's fundamental. The idea of like a kind of a universal uh, consciousness mm. or like, like a sliding scale, that yeah. panpsychism, that, that's the basis for, I mean, stoicism. So the idea is that 
everything has some degree of consciousness, but like our our logic, our ability to to analyze that, that's the the kind of divine uh, logos. Sure. That's that's what you know divines us from from the animals, but I mean it does seem kind of more binary though. The the that the, aspect. Yeah. Sort of the action. I mean, I'm I'm kind of what I've been kind of getting is getting at is well the conscious of everything and the sliding scale and all of that. You know, you would you would. I mean, I like I love that idea. Like I've always been drawn to the idea that, you know, this table. I mean, in terms of like storing a knowledge of its history, like having a it maybe it, it's not able to perceive so much, but information is being transferred to the table. Like everything is a system of sharing information, right? So I mean, in that sort of way. The table may not be conscious, but my argument is always, you know, as far, as deep as you go, and sometimes you start thinking, oh, it's crazy, like the table having consciousness, pfft, what the hell? But the, the universe begets consciousness because we are of the universe and we are conscious. Right. So it's there. It's there. And so are we just these singularities popping out of nowhere? Or is there something that unites... I'm, I'm using a little bit of a loaded language. I mean, no, I don't necessarily... Right, right, though. Are we just like... The, the locus of this thing, or is it is it just a property of, uh, of, of our matter? But I, I think it's it's in the way that we think about consciousness, because, I mean, our consciousness is obviously very complex. I mean, it's the most complex that we are aware of now. Spare. Mm. Right. Uh, but, but this table, so if you take your, your, your knife and, like, leave a mark on it, you've, you've left a mark on this table, you've left an imprint. It now carries something... Uh, and it reacts to the external world, and that, I think, is just, like, quality. quantifies? Well, I mean, I would say that our consciousness is not complex at all. I'd say yeah. it's, really, it's really kind of straightforward, you know? It's kind of, if you look, for example, like, um, the first thing that I thought of when you said that is, like, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the different levels of, like, what you need to be a human and to survive and to, like, you know, control your consciousness and that kind of thing. There's certain levels to it, and, like few things fit into that that pyramid right it's just like i need shelter i need food i need the relationship i need you know kind of like going down the list and i think that whenever you're able to check all those marks off and you reach the top and you hit that self-actualization you're trying to like grab for more things like oh, there's something else there it's like you know you you just hit all the marks like this that there's... of course is like a symbolic understanding sure of our consciousness. sure and, and then that would be a good example of like maybe like a, a macro version of our consciousness and trying to like yeah, this is just kind of like the general things. Like, did you hit the checklist? Well, it's, it's certainly been more complicated in the past. Oh, for sure. The weight of the soul, the, um... Oh, yeah. yeah. We've had more convoluted ways of thinking about consciousness. Yeah. It is... How, where did we get to this from the... From knowing where to, uh... Oh, here, I, this was a, an interesting analog between, uh, kind of Tao philosophy and this idea of finding that happy middle point of too much and not enough knowledge. So the, the central tenet, I would say, of the Tao, which is by nature not really meant to be understood, but yeah. the, the central tenet, as I understand it, is uh, the middle path, right? There's, there's, no, there's sure. no good, there's no bad, everything in equal measure. And it, it does seem like reality uh, reflects that a lot. What is that? Uh, Wu Wei or whatever, right? That's what it's yeah, called, yeah. Wu Wei? Yeah. Wu Wei. I've been learning about that, yeah. actually. It makes sense. Like, there's a rock in the path. Don't go through it. Just right. let the rock be. 
Yeah, there's there's no width without without there's mm-hmm. no black without white. So it's supposed to be there. Yeah, let, you, let you can't divorce the the two natures of reality. Mm. Yeah, they I are. Mean, yeah, yeah, and certainly, I mean, certainly, and I love that philosophy. I'll just preface with the fact that I do love that philosophy because certainly when we're talking about the when we're talking about the uh, you know the subject at hand. I mean, when when we're sort of skating through reality, if I may, you know, mm-hmm. it, it really is that thin veneer that, that rest, that is our consciousness. I mean, it, everything that we see, you know, we're able to sort of pick out a pattern. And this is interesting. Okay, so this is tangential. I, um, let, me, let me go on a little tangent here. Um, I watched this uh, explained, uh, just the first episode of this show explained on uh, Netflix. Okay, and the first episode was about music. And I'm not. The second episode is bleak, so I, I quit halfway through. I couldn't. But the music one was cool. And so the point I'm getting at, without you know taking this too far, is this woman basically lost her perception of music. So this is about perceiving music, right? Okay. And this woman lost her perception of music when she, when music played. She knew that it was music. She's a DJ. She she heard this. She gave the example of, and I can't remember who this was. The the woman, uh, uh, look it up or whatever. But. She lost her sense of, of music, and so she's sitting in the hospital, and, and Portlandia comes on, and she can't, she knows the theme song is playing, but she doesn't understand it as music. Slowly she regains that, but it's like the world to us. Like, we just pick up these patterns, right? But it's these forms that we've created, right, within our consciousness, and we're just interacting with, like, this, this yeah, so, basic so box. That right? noise that, that was music is now just bled into the sound of existence right there's no differentiation exactly exactly uh for the visual people out there if you've ever seen like a some kind of self-replicating fractal uh you know like a mandelbro or sapinski triangle uh you you zoom into any one part you say like the white part of a triangle you're going to zoom all the way into that and see that it's made up of little black and white tiles And, and you fundamentally cannot separate uh you can't find a point that is black or white because they're so I mean depending on where you're looking it might mm. look that way but it's not you can you can zoom in add infinity it, it'll always be intertwined so true well that's like um, there was uh, a story that I learned about where this lady had um, something had happened and for whatever reason, and her amygdala was calcified. Um, so she completely lost all fear, 100%. Like, was, she didn't understand what it meant to be afraid. She completely forgot what the emotion felt like, and she was unable to feel those things because the amygdala was like the fear, you know, like part of the brain, right? Okay. Um, and so there was, a, there was a, like a situation where she had gotten mugged once, and she didn't even get hurt because, and nothing, like, the guy didn't even steal from her because she was so unafraid of him because she didn't understand the feeling of fear that the, it freaked the mugger out. And the mugger was like, I don't understand why you're not afraid of me and left. Didn't, didn't hurt her, didn't take anything from her. Was, so where can I get one? Yeah, right? No, you wouldn't want that because you need a little bit of fear in your life to be able to help, like, you know, like if you're crossing the street and you see a car coming and just be like, oh, fuck it, let's just walk, you know, like, you wait, wait, need... That's how people do anyway. Well, oh, yeah. We live in Austin. That's how every pedestrian is. Yeah, true. Pretty much, a little slam on the pedestrians yeah, of Austin. Right. I would, I would it's take all good. A, I'm one of them sometimes. Yeah. I would take it by like a little switch. 
by a little switch that could do like fear off, fear on. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like having anxiety, right? You need a little bit of anxiety in your life because that tells you you're going in the right direction. It gets you like primed to go do the task, whatever it is. If you didn't have any anxiety, you would just be kind of this, in this mellow, steady state. Yeah. Uh, well, and for me, dude, like, I, okay, I'll, I'll calm myself out a little bit. Making like even like making worse decisions, right? Just like, because fear checks you, right? When you're pushing it to the limit and you start getting afraid, if it's reasonable that you should be afraid, you tell him. The dog break. Hey, hey. Uh, that's Murph, our, uh, our fourth podcast member. He does the recording. Just needed to speak up a little bit. <laughs> hey, Murph, pull that thing up. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, um, yeah, so it, it checks us, but that's sort, of the, that's sort of exactly what we're talking about, though, right, is the, the boundary. Like, how, how can we talk about something? How can we know something? Right. Without, it, I, I feel like we're, it's just that what we're pressing up against, you know, it, and it's like that. It's like the fear, the represent, the symbol, right, in our right. minds that, like, flashes when we're doing something completely stupid or, or whatever. Or, or something scary, let me put it, something scary is happening to us. Ah, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're not afraid, it's just like, well... Yeah, what? what? Like, yeah. But then what kind of meaning does that hold if you're not afraid of it? Like, if it doesn't scare you a little bit, then what kind of meaning does that hold for you? Is it going to mean as much to you as something where you're, like, really nervous and you're really amped up and you're like, oh, man, this is going to be good, you know? Or it might be bad, whatever the case is. Well, it's, it's contextual, you know? Like, yeah, a, like right. for example, uh, I have a, a weak jerk that... And weightlifting, so weightlifting, yeah, weightlifting. So a jerk, <laughs> <Yo. laughs> so yeah, <laughs> my jerk is really. Weird. Oh yeah, yeah, we're we're saying. You see my snatch. No, but, uh, so a jerk is is more difficult than say a push press or or a lift like that. Now my push press is and, and just to just yeah. to, to like preface this. Yeah. So standalone, a jerk is when you press the barbell over your head. Right. Okay. Anyways, uh, and so. Uh, push press also, but I can push press more than I can jerk because with jerking it requires a little bit of a leak, leap of faith, a leak of faith. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, and yeah, I find myself uh, it feels heavy, so I'm scared. Of it. Yeah. Whereas uh, you know I should be weaker in my push press, but I'm not because I'm not scared of it. Hmm. And that, I mean, that probably plays into a little bit of your confidence too. Sure. And so like, because, sure. and, and that's something I'm, I'm seeing with like, te- for example, teaching people how to do gymnastics. Like last night, Jackie did her first like legit handstand, like mm-hmm. against the wall, which is great. Um, and a lot of it came from having the confidence to just get into that position and, and you're, you can kind of like wreck yourself for the, you know, like if you're not confident enough to do it, then you're not even going to really try full tilt. And then, yeah, right. you know, and then you're just gonna, it's gonna be like a cycle of like, just like, oh, I can't do it, so I'm not gonna do it. Yeah, you gotta shut down completely and mm-hmm. just go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting, which is interesting because it's, there's a, there's a sort of, I, I feel like, I'm just throwing this, this out there, but it's, it's sort of like there's a knowledge in that. But that fearlessness is like a knowledge. But, but when you're just like unafraid, you're like, that, that can be a good place to be. I mean, that can be a really good place to approach the world from. I yeah. Mean, Sometimes you need fear, but man, sometimes when you're... That's a good example. You can't know every outcome, yeah. Yeah, right? Well, that's a good example of understanding, like, in general, what I should be doing and just ignoring the micro part of it so you're not overthinking. It's just like, you know what? I understand this and I'm just going to make it happen and I'm not going to concern myself with how it's going to happen. You know, it's like a, like you know, applying for a new job. Like, I don't know how I got that position, but I did. Like, stop thinking about the micro because that's not going to yes. help you in this point. Right. 
Yeah, just look at the like just the fact that you, you know, understand it. You ever heard of uh, an Alan Watts? So oh, like oh, a that's my favorite. Yeah. So one of his tenets was anxiety about making decisions. You can never fully know the outcome of something. You can't know enough. You couldn't possibly know enough to make an informed decision. So at some point you have to make that, that leap of faith mm. and just, just go for it. Yeah. You can't, it's, it's not possible. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that what analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis, I mean. Big time, yeah. You know, just, yeah, getting into that headspace and, because you can, you can just take it infinitely. But, but I think at some point though, right, at some point you've g- 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 uh, gathered enough knowledge about something that, that you can make a really informed decision. And, and think about people that are sort of, maybe think about like prodigies or something. Like if you want to talk about like, for instance, like say a math prodigy or something mm-hmm. like that. That's an innate ability that that person has. What, what, what are they, in a sense, what are they doing? Well, they're, they're just making better decisions. Like problem solving, from a mathematical perspective, is about making good decisions. So you get, you get to the solution of the problem by making a series of good decisions mm. about the information that you have at any given step. So yeah. say you figure out one part of the thing. Okay, well now I need to figure out this other part of the thing. And then once I get that, oh hey, maybe there's another couple steps or maybe some math problems take an entire doctoral thesis and books and piles of manuscripts to solve. Some of them though, the basic proof of, of an undergraduate theorem or something, right. is going to be fit about in the page. And you get there and you know it. You know? and, but it's, it's the good decisions along the way that lead you to the solution. And, but math prodigies, they can just make those good decisions. Yeah. So being able to break things up into kind of quantifiable bits, yeah, magic can certainly make it more palatable. I had a uh, stats teacher in college, and she was from Russia. She was very uh, strong, staunch teacher. She was very like, no, no, you know, cut the shit. Like we're doing stats today, and you're gonna learn it, you know. And she used to say all the time that you have to know it to understand it. And so she would, you know, like we were going over something, you know, like probabilities, you know, something, and she'd be like. You know, I know you know this, but do you understand this? Like, I know that you know the, the, the problem, or I know you know how to work it out, but do you understand it enough to be able to apply it in real life? Or do you understand it enough? And so, like, that's, that's something that I say all the time, especially, like, you know, with Jackie or, you know, like, or say, like, with a client who's, like, working on, for example, diet. Like, oh, I, I, I need to eat better. Like, you know you need to eat better. Do you understand why you need to eat better? You know, as it's like, one of those right. things where, like, I know I need to exercise, but why? Why is that? Why, you know, like, and that's kind of like understanding the, the, the level between understanding it and then understanding why, like the macro and micro and that kind of thing. Right, breaking it down yeah. into, into actual physical steps. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of plays back to what you're saying, like making good decisions through like the math and that kind of thing. It's like, well, you understand that that's how you derive that, but you know, you might have a prodigy who's always been good at that. And yeah. so they know that that's the steps to go, but they don't understand it because they've been good at it and they don't need to understand it. Well, and that's why, and we're going to be talking about this a lot more, because this is what I'm really interested in, but it's uh, human stories. And this is why we have stories that are older than any of our civilizations, which have been passed down, uh, even epigenetically, uh, some people think. Oh, I think absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, there's a a certain model for story that kind of plays out across every culture. It's applicable to almost any situation, because we are such symbolic creatures, we're able to take... I mean, almost any anecdote and turn it into a useful uh, uh, symbol, like a parable yeah. for our, our life. And, and you could argue too that a, a good, look, look, you could, but it's like trace, you know, like, 
Sorry, side note. Um, <laughs> well, you can even argue that, because uh, I had a, a, I was originally going to go into creative writing, right? So I had a creative writing teacher my freshman year, and she would argue that a good story is something that's good because it's ident identifiable to fit the certain mold that makes a story good. And so every story that you've ever read, it's like, I predict this to happen, so as I read it out in the book, if my predictions are true, then it makes me happy and it makes me glad that I'm reading. Kind of like when you're listening to like a pop song. Like with a pop song, you can usually, more or less, I would say probably more than half of the time, predict what they're gonna say next in the song. And that like, ah, oh, I got it right in your head, even if you're not thinking about it, it kind of like makes you feel good about yourself. Like, oh, I knew that was gonna happen. Like, yeah. You so know? that raises the question then, what about bad literature? Where do we find value in maybe surprising literature, literature that breaks the mold? Uh, are these like, if we're thinking of like a bell curve, are these outliers or are these uh, kind of fortify these, I guess we can say the essential story is the hero's journey, right? Mm -hmm. There's things off of that? Yeah. So something where you get to the climax and the hero dies. Does that, is that a fundamentally bad story? Not necessarily. I don't think... No. I would argue that there's no bad stories. I guess it depends on your audience, right? Well, I, you know, and I, th I, think, I think we're sort of cutting into... And, and this is definitely relational, but I mean, artistic, artistic value, right. which, is such a, which is such a deep topic. It, well, that applies to you know? everything. Right. Hey, this, this might be a good one for the next episode. Yeah. Honestly. Right. You're just, about, and it's relation, it relates to this completely. Yeah, I think these are, these are all going to touch... Uh, it, in this way. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to no, 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 interrupt no, your thoughts no, right no. there. I'm running out like a quarter tank of gas right now. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. I've only eaten two pancakes today. I had I had two pancakes. Oh I got food. I got some food. Rather than Rather than your yeah. normal ten pancakes. Yeah, normal ten pancakes. Ten pancakes. Well, my, my pancakes are very especially dry. You have to eat them dry. <laughs> oh my god. For, for those listening, uh, Nick here is not human. He eats his pancakes with no syrup, no honey, nothing. He puts salt on them. Salt and tar. <laughs> and oh, feathers. <laughs> and feathers. Oh, feathers for that. It's the best. Yeah, food. like the... No, I think like a good... It's a cake, right? A pancake is a cake yeah. that you cooked in a pan, right? I don't want to ruin the cake by covering it. Like, if it's a good pancake, you shouldn't have to cover it in flavor. I, it's like putting ketchup okay. on your food. That's kind of, like, disrespectful, right? I, you know, I, I, can see, I can see where you're coming from. I like no, to, Let's go full circle. It's like a fluffy you tortilla. You are disrespecting tasty maple syrup. Well, what do you have well if you go to a restaurant, syrup? you're not going to get maple syrup. You're going to get, you know, high fructose corn syrup. Shit with some maple flavoring. With maple flavoring, which is not good. Which I was, I was. If I'm not gonna eat them dry, I'm gonna eat them with honey, right? Dude, right. Okay, that's fair. What's that? Uh, what's that? Uh, that uh, now I'm going a little bit out of my depth, but I know that y'all are into memes and stuff. The, the how dry do you want it or whatever. Oh, dude, that's old. We're talking like <laughs> oh, wow. Years. Yeah, that is. That's like college humor yeah. original. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a good. One. What is that? That Derek comedy group, right? Like, the guy. Yeah, where college humor. That's where Childish Gambino came from. Like, right? I do this thing with my hands. Where I take it, it, it real slow and. <laughs> how dry do you want it? It's gonna be like a desert. No, but I'll, I want to elaborate on this because I had a little bit of a thought train rolling on bad literature. Because mm. sure, sure. everybody sat around and watched a bad movie and laughed about it. Or you've sat in uh, an English class and you've read some book you weren't attached to and then you had to write a meaningful essay about it. Uh, I think the ability to find uh, symbolism, find 
relative, relative, uh, yeah, relative meaning, like something that's relative to your life, mm. is is fundamental to how we we do things. I would argue that it's important to understand um, bad literature and bad stories and bad layouts because you can look at a story that's really, really bad and really poor and something that not a lot, of, a lot of people like to read or maybe it's just super dense and it's just hard to get through. And if you understand what it's what the symbolism in that story is and you, you can read it in full and you can digest it correctly, then when you can take that and when you see that story play out in someone else's life, it can help you make an informed decision on whether or not you should you know, incorporate yourself in that person, have a relationship with them. Like, should I be friends with this guy? Because this guy's life follows really closely to this really shitty book that I read, you know. And you don't think right. of it that way, right? That's not no, your first thought. Yeah. And I, th I think because if somebody tries to meaningfully transcribe information about reality, if they're doing it in an honest and meaningful way, or maybe they're doing it for dishonest reasons too, but if they're, go if they're approaching it with, I'm going to try to put some meaning on this page, then when you, you can get, you can pick up at least the mental state of what they're talking about. I mean, you can get an idea about what's in this person's head, right? At the very least. And if they're able to generalize and analogize and, and all of that, well, then you might learn something about reality. But at the very least, you're learning something about the person, right? So, I mean, it, it, it contains meaningful information. It's just how deep is it? How much can you, how applicable is it? And how, how much can you use it to, to make decisions about reality in the future well, I, mean, I, I think I think when you get to a point in in your understanding you're able to take things with with no meaning with like fundamentally no uh, artistic no symbolic value and turn it into something but let me read you one of the great philosophers I said a little quote here one of oh, the great can... philosophers of our time okay uh, I'll tell you who the philosopher is later okay I, I, I did want to I did want to touch on uh, before you ah damn okay what was I, I had a real quick one yeah um, about fundamentally like no I mean, I mean sometimes okay you can take a rock right True. no implicit artistic value sometimes just the act of this rock is artistic. I mean, now, now people, modern art people, the urinal, I mean, thinking about these sorts of things. But at the same time, sometimes just the, the, the fact that that, the fact that somebody did that gives it a little bit of meaning. Well, right? this, okay, this rock, we're talking about this rock. This rock has stood for millions, if not billions of years. This rock is compound of stardust. This rock has, has withstood floods and, and, and yes. there you go. Like, there, now you have something compelling. Uh, now here, I'll read you this quote, and uh, not inherently meaningful, but you can probably pull something from it. How can mirrors be real if our eyes aren't real? Interesting. <laughs> All right, this was uh, this was Jim Smith. He, he just is like a shit post generator. He makes uh, the most ridiculous quotes on Twitter. And it just so what was memes. what was the kind of what thread was that in? I mean, what was that was the just context? out of the blue? Just out of the blue. Okay. How can okay. our eyes be real? How can mirrors be real if our eyes aren't real? And is that just on? Is that just like a Twitter post or something? Yeah. Okay. That's that's kind of his theme. Okay, that's cool. So that 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 this is like the capstone project for finding meaning. What does that mean? What does that mean? Wait, say the say the quote again. All I'm right. trying to. Digest okay. what you just said. Has anyone ever been as far as to want to do look more like? 
<laughs> no, sorry. Okay. Have you um, ever been like when you like <laughs> when you do anything? All right. Here's the quote, Jaden Smith. How can mirrors be real if our eyes aren't real? That's Jaden Smith. That's Jaden Smith. Oh my God, man! Uh, the genie from Aladdin's son. Yeah. <laughs> the oh genie God. from Aladdin. He's gonna be known as that forever. Oh, for our, oh, our, yeah, I'm trying to find Oh my God, man! You've seen all the. Uh, the genie means. Oh god, yeah, that's a hard one right now. <laughs> oh yeah. So, saying that statement, you're assuming that your eyes aren't real. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the premise. Just from the very beginning, you're you're yeah. assuming that. Well, then if okay, so if your eyes aren't real. Well, no, no. His then, first premise is. Oh yeah, yeah, he's building it off of eyes aren't real. Yeah. So the, if eyes aren't real, therefore, then therefore mirror must be real, right? Mir- mirrors aren't real either. But they're yeah. not real either. So what? If eyes aren't real, mirrors aren't real. Well, is he saying eyes is in like well, our ability to take the light in and, and make sense of it, or okay. eyes is in like an actual eyeball? <laughs> let, let me give a crack at this. Okay. You, with your own eyes, cannot see your eyeballs. When you look in the mirror, you're seeing a representation. What you're seeing is not your real eye. Yeah. It's so, like your right hand has never touched your right elbow. Yeah, you can you can never uh, bite your own teeth. You can never lick your own tongue. Uh, I think what he's getting at, at profound. Lick your tongue. Jane Smith. Yeah, you can roll mm. your tongue. Uh, but it is true. Uh, yeah, the, the tail can't, can't wag itself. It's a, it's a reflection on the kind of feudal nature of understanding oneself. Well, okay. I like that take on it. I like that take on it rather than the, rather than the hard, hardcore logician kind of approach of just like breaking it down into a, a syllogism or I guess it's not t- technically. I guess, I guess it is. Yeah. So breaking it into a syllogism. Okay, yeah. then, it, then it just, it's absurd, you know. In a, in a way, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's sort of profound at that level, too. However, I mean, uh, I, I like, I, I just, I like your, your take on that. Um, sort of, yeah. how can no, a mirror we, be we, real if eyes are real? We got a couple real? more. Uh, well, we're sort of plugging Mr. Jaden Smith, uh, big shout out. Most trees are blue. <laughs> most trees. Uh, so I guess all. most of the trees that I've been seeing aren't most trees. Well, this is excusing the green trees. Excusing the green trees. Uh, but I guess my question there is, for you is, is your, the way that you perceive blue, is it the same as the way that I perceive blue? Doesn't matter. And if it's so, then how, you know, like, how do you know that, you know, this it's, is blue? It's not. What if it's not? What if it's, what if, what if when I'm looking at it, it's red? But I just call it yeah. blue, so you think it's blue. But again, yeah. if we can't quantify that, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't matter, it doesn't Right, because we yeah. can we can communicate like I think it, it turns into some symbolic equivalencies. To me, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a symbolic equivalence, right? Like your blue doesn't map onto my blue, but it's close enough to where we can talk about blue together, right? So what about people with like um, who are colorblind? Yeah, they. I've right. known a lot of guys who had full blown all the spectrum colorblind. Yeah, and they would say like. Oh well, that's purple, and right. really it was dark green or something. That's the, but that's the, I think that that's an inequality of symbols then. Yeah, this side of my death, I Right. But but at the same time, it's like, what if they just yeah? What what if they just what if they do see dark green and yeah. and they're just like right. no, that's purple. Like how? But it but it, I think it mutually maps onto the word blue though specifically. Sure. Right? Sure. So whenever they say blue, unless their unless their perception of blue doesn't mean the same thing right yeah then then yeah i mean if it is if they truly see 
which colorblind people do, right? Um, they see, or, or somebody who's, I mean, let's take it a step further, and somebody who's, say, hallucinating or something. Okay. You know? Yeah. Well, that's a whole other ballgame. Well, it is. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we don't want to go there, but so, certainly... So this is like uh, the Stroop effect. Have you ever heard of a Stroop, no. Stroop effect? So it's a, it's a um, psychological test where... Uh, you've seen it before. They'll have like a whole list of uh, colors typed out, okay. and then those colors will be a different color than what they're what they are. Oh, what, right. So like I've, it'll I've be like the word them. black, and it'll be a yellow color. Right. And so like you have to like differentiate between the two, and like that's like it's, it's mapping the meaning of the color to the word. So it's like okay, well I, I look at this and it says blue, but it's actually right. red. So your brain's trying to like oh, figure it out. It. It's yeah. called the Stroop effect. Oh, okay. I'm with this. Thought with this rose pee. What about? Uh, getting rid of meaning instead of synthesizing meaning instead of finding meaning what about uh, getting rid of it uh, I was thinking about diogenes uh, I have a specific example to lead this uh, okay uh, Plato pretty good stuff good. described uh, man as a featherless biped right a featherless, as, as what is a featherless biped okay. that's how Plato described man and uh, makes sense in diogenes uh for context, he's kind of a like the you can't tell me what to do philosopher. Okay. You know, okay. Kind of like poops on the street, uh, barks at people, uh, okay. really anti-establishment. Yeah. He comes through the next day to the school of Plato with a plucked chicken, and he says, "Behold, a man," just making a mockery of the, you know, Plato's of yeah, yeah sure, like pillar of humanity. Hmm. Then does man lay eggs too? Is that the? Would y'all know? <laughs> Only on the weekends, really. No, but what's what's something we hold is like fundamentally true? Like, like <sighs> most trees are blue. <laughs> most trees are blue. That's a fundamental fundamental truth. And our eyes are not real. <laughs> is that what what he's doing here? Is he it, uh, challenging our, our symbolic notions? It could be a metaphor. I mean, obviously, anything anything is a metaphor, and and you can draw meaning out of. It's a structure, you know, I mean, it's a linguistic structure, and we can layer it with all sorts of different things, and, and, and he might have been thinking about it in some sort of way, like he was, absolutely, he was thinking about it in some sort of way, and it, it meant enough to him to, to put it down, for whatever reason. He could have been any anything. He could have been, you know. I mean, I'm not saying this is not meant to be, uh, you know, derogatory or anything like that. But but hell, I mean, we don't know what his mental state was. He could have been really high. He could have been stone cold sober and just worked out hard. He, he could have been walking in the park. I mean, we don't know. Yeah. And then we don't he know his mental state. Right. He right. could have DID. You don't know or anything. Yeah. He could have been right. deeply mourning the loss of loss of Harambe. Harambe. He's he's out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I had something good too yeah. for it. I replaced it with that kind of stuff. Oh no! Or you know, his dad could be Will Smith. It could be a whole bunch yeah. of issues that you know you don't know that play out. Yeah. Oh no! no okay, I know. So, the the well, story no, of this hero, the hero's journey. You get more coffee by the too. Uh, okay. Well, I have to make some more though. Yeah. I think I mean, I'd like some if you're gonna. I'll make some yeah, more. Please. Okay. Anyways, uh, keep, just, keep talking. Yeah. I'll be listening. So the story of the the, the hero's journey. It's a, it's a pretty old one. I'd say that's our oldest like, story archetype that I know of anyway. But along came the, the tragic hero, right? And this kind of broke the mold. So the tragic hero, uh, in the end, he doesn't succeed. He falls to Hamarsha, uh, or his fatal flaw. And it's, that's how the, the 
tragic hero story ends is he he loses he doesn't succeed even though he might be a virtuous person there's there's some fundamental flaw so what's a good example of a tragic hero what's like a good story example uh, the listeners wanted to like read something that fits that. What's, what's that Shakespeare with the um the castles? Hamlet. No, no, no. Is it Hamlet? No. Macbeth. Macbeth. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, most of those are supposed to be like satires. Most right. of those stories were supposed to be satirical, kind of like tongue in cheek. Uh, yeah. Making fun of, like the clergy of the time. Which I never understood why they make us study those things in grade school. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, yeah. but no, uh, Macbeth, and it, if it's the one I'm thinking about. He starts off a very virtuous noble, but he has a hamartia, he has a fatal flaw, which is greed. He wants more than his lot. And so he and his wife plot to murder the king. They do, uh, and their own guilt outs them. Mm. Or, uh, I mean, any number, uh, Shakespeare has put out a lot of uh, tragic heroes. You know they say that Shakespeare sounds best if you read it in a Southern American accent. They said that tra- really? traditionally, this, and I don't know if this is true, but I, what I heard was traditionally the uh, English accent was more akin to like a Southern American, like, yeah, a, like a redneck true. accent. And the reason why it's different now is because when America was established, the nobles in England did want to separate I don't know this this might be a lie so if it's if it's a lie correct me but Murphy pull that up yeah but, hey Jamie pull that up no <laughs> but but apparently what happened was the nobles wanted to separate themselves from America and like from that like they're not us anymore and so they started changing the way that they spoke and then as a result all the other people started changing which is the reason why you have like a cockney accent because it's a really like sure. low like a low economic socioeconomic class bastardized version of uh you know like an uneducated way of speaking, you know, not sure. saying that people who have yeah. cockney accents are uneducated, but that's kind of like, this is what I was told. Now, it might it's be 100% wrong, but... Hey, man, it's, it's yeah. believable. I like to imagine, who's that lady that cooks with all the butter? Paula Dean. Paula Dean, I like butter to imagine... makes it better. Paula Dean uh, in, the, in the, the Colonel from KFC reading, reading oh, place yeah. here. You know, you can oh, find that. Awesome. They have a, they have a channels on YouTube that do that. And they also have another channel, and I'll, I'll show it after this, where a guy will go through the English language, and he'll take out all of, like, the Latin words, oh, and dude. he'll, like, read it in just, like, yeah. just the Germanic language, or just the Latin language, or just, like, the words that would come, come from Greek, or the Greek backgrounds, or something like that. He'll, like, break it up, and it's really, it's really interesting. Dude, that same guy does a bit that. where he goes through... Uh, vowel by by vowel mm-hmm. and describes what the English language would sound like if it was phonetically consistent. Okay. So if it followed all of its own rules, like mm-hmm. I before E, and by the end of it, it's completely unintelligible. 